Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. On today's show, we have Owen Meats from the Holy Terror. Uh, we had John Nowicki in last week, but uh, Owen or O. Willie, as you might know him from uh, Facebook, was kind of the first to reach out to me, and he and I have been discussing all things music and otherwise uh, since then. Uh, he was nice enough to come in after driving all over the state of Florida today, as he was just telling me. Thank you for coming in. Thank you, sir. So, uh, I, the Holy Terror is is a is a recent addition to my musical vocabulary, okay. and it seems like it's a kind of a, a cadre of interesting characters, kind of a, a band of misfit toys, as it were. <laughs> yeah, it's a band of uh, all close friends who have been in the music scene in Tampa together for some up to 20 years. Um, you know, so I, I, it's funny because I've always been a music fan and I would have considered myself to be very knowledgeable about music, but what has become overwhelmingly apparent to me in the past year, aside from the fact that my mic setup sucks. Oh no, I just got to get it to my height. I'm sure (laughs) is, the, a, the, a local scene versus a national scene, you know, and when you talk local scenes of music, you know, it used to be, okay, you're talking about New York or maybe mm-hmm. Chicago or LA or whatever. But in a way, I feel like Tampa's mu- local music scene is its best kept secret. But then as I'm having more of these guests on, you know, you, Elliot Mayo, Sean Kyle, Greg Thacker, uh, Jeremy Gloff, all these people is, Everybody knows about it. Somehow, I, so I'm an odd man out. I'm the dumbass <laughs> who just didn't have any clear idea about it. But there's just such this amazing, deep uh, lineup of amazing, diverse, yeah. r- really like legit talent here locally. And I, I'm just amazed it doesn't get more lip service than it does. Or maybe I'm just look looking in the wrong places. No, I mean, the scene was pretty... Uh, I know New World Brewery seemed to be kind of New World, one of the hubs of it. And then when that went under the first time, yeah, kind of... That was... Uh, I mean, personally, I played probably 50 or 100 shows on that stage yeah. in four or five different bands over the last 20 years. Right. Um, so it was emotional. You know, it's... Uh, End of an era. Yeah, and you cut your teeth there. You play your first show with your band there, and then you play a show 20, you know, 20 shows later, and you rock the place, you know. So it's – they had national accent. I mean, My Morning Jacket played there at one point. Um, Tampa's always been a great music scene, but it is kind of clicky and insular. Um, There's kind of a Ebor Tampa scene and then the St. Pete scene. Um, and then there's like Orlando and Orlando, but even out in like Newport Richie, there's a metal scene yeah, and stuff like that. And wasn't that where like, uh, what's this, what's, uh, cannibal corpse. Aren't they all out that way? Yeah. Yeah, no, well, it's true. And you know, so my, my kind of my resting point, like I'm, I'm, I have a, a broad taste, I would say, but my kind of home base is always more heavy music same for me you know metal punk hardcore all that like i can just i i i'm i'm most comfortable in that pocket like i Mm. can kind of talk 
at a the greatest depth about that. Once I start getting into like twangy dread, as John uh, <laughs> referred to it, you know, yeah. I I can drop just a few names to be dangerous, but I'm 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 uh, out kicking my coverage talking about you know that type of stuff, and then, but you know, like so for instance, in the past couple of weeks, I had Jeremy Gloff on, mm-hmm. I had. You and, and John on. Mm-hmm. And then earlier, th- was it earlier this week? I had Mike's girlfriend Vetno on just completely couldn't be more different from each other. Right. Right. You know, Jeremy's kind of this poppy folk singer. You guys are twangy dread or whatever. What, well, I mean, yeah, to even say that is it's, it's almost verse by verse, if not song by song, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, Vetno was just, I, really not a type of music that I seek out or listen to, but I've been listening to it all week is kind of, I haven't heard the new stuff with the, she's her got solo. a new single coming out tomorrow. Skin. Uh, she's solo now, right? Now completely solo. Right, yeah. We played with them a few times, uh, as the Holy Terror with the band. She's um, had nothing but amazing things to say about you guys. She's oh, you guys, so. nice. But it's amazing. I was just fantasizing about that card. And I'm like, what a cool card that would be mm-hmm. because I mean, not that's not that's not two bands I would put together on a card, right. but, but it probably would was amazing. I think they played our CD release show for uh, the first Holy Terror album at Independent. Okay, I think they opened for us there, and uh, I think one other time. Um, oh, uh, think of the Blue Note. Okay. We played a show together. Okay, well, yeah. So in in any event, I've just it's like the the the. the Sheets have been pulled back and all of a sudden I'm seeing this whole other world to music that, that after, you know, 45 years of being a pretty avid fan of it was not even, you know, now Elliot Mayo has got me excited at every new release about local, like, you know, I, I was more excited about Horsewhip coming out last week than I was about <laughs> Deftones coming out last nice. week. And, you know, so there's all this other stuff. And, you know, I found Meat Wound and uh, Witchbender and, mm-hmm. you know, just so there's a lot of that. But I'm also really digging stuff that's kind of out of the center lane. And definitely that's where the Holy Terror, like, you know, I was telling John when he was on here, one of the things I always do when I'm listening to people I haven't heard before is, is I have to find a place to put them. Mm-hmm. Who do you sound like? Or what type of music is this? Or yeah, what is this? natural. Who's but, a singer? Or what is this? Right. Blah, blah, blah. And when I can't do it right away, I'm even more intrigued because I, I have, as I've gotten more and more into it, you, you t- like a challenge. You know, when you're a kid, it's pop music. You mm-hmm. like Michael Jackson. And don't get me wrong. Well, I mean, I'm not speaking on him as a person, but his music right, right. was, you know, it's, it's scientific or mathematically Frankenstein to be as appealing as it can be. Yeah. Right. Quincy Jones knows what he, he well, for sure. Yeah. Or, doing, or who's the wall of sound guy? Like the pet uh, sounds, the beach boys, the, uh, the guy with the hair shot his girlfriend. Uh, Spectre. Yeah. Phil Spectre. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there is depth. There's a book that I always, I have, and I've never fully read, but it's David Byrne, how music is made. Mm-hmm. And my suspicion, if I ever got around to reading it is, is it's talking about almost what, music does to your brain or what music does to you know the rhythms the harmonies the notes the arrangements the beats the all these things can trigger these types of responses happy sad whatever the case may be so you know there is kind of a a a language underneath the music a language underneath the vocals that you're kind of playing with people you know um but where was i going with this there's somewhere i was going oh challenging music so as I got more and more into it, it started to be, you know, like one of my favorite bands is Dillinger Escape Plan. And yeah, I love them. When I started listening to them around, you know, Calculating Affinity and those at uh, Miss Machine or whatever the green the green cover was, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on mm, it now. I don't remember that one. I had uh, 
Well, I still own uh, Calculating Infinity on vinyl. Calculate Ironworks is my personal favorite. I, yeah, can't, I can't tell you yeah. why, but it just is. But, uh, you know, you listen to someone who's not used to that type of music. And, and I think Elliot said it about Converge is the first time you hear it, you're like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. It sounds like. You know, it's like when people look at paintings and like, I could do that. Right. You know, I could throw a splash of paint and have it do whatever. And it's like, well, that's all you're seeing. But what you're not seeing is this and what you're not seeing is that and what you're so. So this is my essay on why the Holy Terror is like a Dillinger. Okay. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, we'll take it. Because, uh, you know, what. And I just want to make something really clear right now. Sure. I'm not the current bass player for the Holy Terror. I okay. Don't know if we should mention that. Up well, top. Joe Grady's. You've been in, you've been in at yeah, various yeah. points. Yeah. Joe Grady's uh, currently t- playing the uh, bass for them. Um, but uh, what we were doing, it was just kind of John's thing. Sure. Um, he wanted to step out front of the drum set and be a lead man for the first time in his life. And play a guitar in the most fucked right. up way you could ever uh, play a guitar. Oh yeah, lobster claws, man. Yeah, I was watching them and I had cramps in my hands. Just yeah, watching. it's uh, it's Let's- been incredible. Just like uh, he finally got a left handed guitar that he can string right handed and play upside down, so it doesn't have the cord poking into his thigh or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, it's insanity. We just, he just needs a signature model. But we're not talking about John. We're talking about you. No. We're talking about Owen. All right. So, are you a Tampa guy? Uh, born in Kansas, moved back. Really? By the, yeah, moved back by the time I was one. Where about in Kansas? Pittsburgh. Okay, it's uh two hours south of uh, Kansas City, uh, and about th- thirty minutes west of Joplin, Missouri. Until it's right I was on the border. Until I was about forty years old, I the only two speeding tickets I ever had were two trips to Kansas yeah, from Missouri because you. Yeah, you drive you. for five hours in the middle of nowhere without mm-hmm. a soul or anything that's a you know point of reference and all of a sudden you look down you're going 110 miles per hour so i always used to joke about you know be careful everybody says be careful in georgia but be careful in kansas so yeah texas too i hear oh yeah state to drive fast in so you just did a year in kansas and then came back yeah born there came back around one my parents split um my siblings uh biologically three through marriage eight oh wow so that's like a sitcom. Yeah, and I'm the youngest. Okay, um, by nine years, my next sibling up is. So nine you're years. you're kind of one of those weird, like weird kind of like hybrid only children. It's right. Like no one else was in the house, but you have a bunch of siblings. Right, and also my parents were 35 and 36 when they had me. My um, dad was 38. Yeah, so, so it was, I had older parents than most of my friends as well. So did, did that impact you at all? That 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 plays a big role in my reflection on my life. Do you think that that? I don't remember it, any specific instances when it did, but it had to have affected like psychologically somehow. I mean, everything does. Well, so when you were old enough to kind of start, you know having fights with your friends, start noticing girls or start mm-hmm. whatever it is. Most of your siblings are out of the house by that point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my sister went to college when I was nine. So you don't have any age appropriate, not that your parents are not age appropriate, but you don't have any other kids in the household mm-hmm. to bounce that off of, to experience that with. So what I've you know talked about ad nauseum and people you know i always joke about the five people listen to the show the five people <laughs> listen to the show is probably like get, get on with it but you become a mirror for your parents yeah and so you have at nine they're 45 yeah so you have two 45 year olds and a nine-year-old which right. i mean that's just well i had one 45 year old well okay well there you go but i mean 
that's the only situation where that is an okay setup, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense at all. Right, right. Because what common ground do they have? What voca- common vocabulary do they have? Their their perception of the world, their experience of the world is vastly mm-hmm. different. Um, they're not entertained in the same way. Their tastes in food aren't the same. Their tastes right. in art aren't the same. Their priorities aren't the same, yet they're locked together and forced to kind of grit it out with each other. Yeah. And so that kind of... I think you leave your print on each other. And so one of the things that, you know, I feel happened is it made me very attuned to uh, people Mm -hmm. because I, you know, I've spoken a lot about both my parents were alcoholics and as a young kid watching them kind of deal with that before I really knew what that was Mm -hmm. like. They weren't violent, you know, they were good people, but, you know, they went to bed kind of early and, you know, it wasn't uncommon for dad to pee in the closet or whatever the case may be. And so that just kind of becomes part of your world. I remember I was ninth grade or something in high school and the teacher pulled me aside and she asked me if I was smoking. And I was like, no, she's like, you smell like a chimney. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, my dad smokes. And and it never even occurred to me that I smelled like smoke. And then when it was pointed out to me, I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, there's all this, these things that you're parents do to you that they don't even mean to right you know so anyway it's secondhand psychology really you know again it's that kind of vocabulary below the vocabulary there's like what life you're perceiving that's happening and then what life that's kind of happening on a lower frequency that's happening um so uh music was that part of your life at an early age early age uh my brother Well, before I had bands. Not that you were into. Who did you listen to? Oh, well, no. I mean, before I even knew what bands was, uh, my brother and sister were in musical theater and choir. Okay. Um, We were, uh, all three of us ended up singing uh, as paid singers in the St. John's Episcopal Boys and, uh, you know, choir, men, boys and women choir. We traveled to Europe and sang in England. Oh, wow. Um, That's awesome. I think I was in fourth grade at that time you still have that in you do you still have the pipes can you (laughs) i can be as loud as i used to be but uh, no i was a very high soprano then okay and then uh you know 30 plus years of biology and physics and cigarettes yeah screaming in metal bands right right screaming along to metal bands and well but i mean it probably gave you a better understanding of tone and and music theory than a lot of people have at that age yeah and uh also uh my brother was uh, and my sister, but my brother was, uh, the classic prodigy playing violin at age four, um, composing full choral parts for, um, a 40 piece choir in his early, you know, his, uh, adolescence. And, uh, so what's your name as it appears on your driver's license? Owen Meats. What is Meats? Meats is uh, probably we were butchers in the old country, man. Yeah. Yeah. England or Wales, that okay. border between England and Wales, wherever it moves over the last couple hundred years, right. that's probably about where I'm from. Have you ever done the whole DNA deal? Uh, no, but my grandfather on my dad's side and my uh, father then continued a family history. So you can go pretty far back. Just- you can go pretty far back. My, as far as my mother's side, we go pretty far back to South Carolina. Um, Appalachian. Before it was South Carolina, yeah. basically. Yeah. We lived on that land. Yeah. Um, so, uh, no, more lowland. More lowland. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they call it Gullah country. Yeah. I've, I've, my, uh, uncle lives up there and they always have their low country broil yeah, and all that yeah, kind of, yeah. it's almost like a Cajun type of, 
situation there. So, yeah, I've always said I have dual citizenship in the South and the Midwest because, you know, at, when school would get out, I'd go for the summer and visit my dad or I'd go like every other Christmas or spring break. Um, and I had friends up there. And then when I was uh, 13, going from eighth grade to ninth grade, um, my mother and stepfather decided to retire and they wanted to travel. I was the only kid left in the house. Um, and, uh, you know, I moved my dad said for high school to Kansas. From oh, wow. So that was a little bit of a different. How'd you find that? Was it, was it good for you? Was it bad for you? Did it you feel the odd being, man out? Or? It ended up being good for me it, for a while. It was touch and go. Uh, <laughs> were you an athlete? Were you an artist? Were you a academic? What I played your- soccer down here. Um, and then I tried to play football up there and just didn't like it. Yeah. Um, it just seemed like a lot of getting yelled at for no reason. And I'm kind of more of a solo <laughs> sports type person. Like I don't, not good with like teams. Right. Yeah. Um, I didn't have one really specific click. Um, in high school, I kind of hung out at least a little bit with most people, um, that wanted to hang out with me. Right. Uh, and, uh, but I was a little skater kid. I had, Did you skate? Yeah. I had, you know, the 40, size 40 jeans cut off about mid calf. Yeah. Yeah. With, you know, bright red socks pulled up to my knees. My can't, my Converse one stars that were colored in purple. You know, were any I decks had, that you had? Uh, no, 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 no. By that point in time, I was on to music and yeah. had kind of quit comic books and skating yeah. and anything else I had any interest in. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I was still rocking the style. What became kind of known as like the new metal. I'll right. go ahead and claim it. Uh, I didn't go as far as like the Jinko jeans or anything like that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing, you know, like, uh, do you know, I keep dropping his name, you know, Elliot? Mayo from no, not okay, well, so he sings in a uh, wreath and vacancy local. Yeah, no vacancy. I'd yeah. never heard of wreath before. But he's he's a he's he's like an encyclopedia of hard music. Like nice. he knows all of it. And so he was talking about his album of the year, albums of the year, and he like ten of them he came up with. One of them was Code Orange, which mm-hmm. I've tried to listen to, and it just keeps hitting me as like a little too limp biscuit yeah, or something. Yeah, but I, I couldn't name any other songs, but well, that said, I am a, an avid fan of Deftones. And, yeah. My you know, and well. I've kind of created this, this uh, us and them mentality and, and all the people that have been on the show, it's mm-hmm. like literally becoming a dividing line. Um, <laughs> oh, that if Deftones is new or, metal good, or not, no, if Deftones <laughs> is good or not, like, uh, my, like my buddy, uh, Greg, uh, you know, he's like, how many strings does a guitar have? How many strings <laughs> does the bass have? And is there a DJ? Cause if you could say more than six, more than four, and yes, I'm not fucking listening to it. And like yeah. Rob Sexton over at, uh, Planet Retro, he's like, I'm not doing it. But then, I mean, it's been generally getting pretty good reviews. The album that just came out last I, week. I, I really think dig it's, it. I think it's as stronger, as strong as their last three releases. Yeah. I mean, if you put their last four since Sergio got in the band, yeah. basically, uh, I think they've been progressing every album, changing every album. Um, what's interesting about this one is that they work with Terry Date again, which they hadn't done since the self-titled record. Right. So yeah. It's like 17 years ago. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I've heard a couple of stories of like Terry Date almost quit every time they worked together. Um, like he was like one second from walking out on them. Well, I always hear that. Uh, times. She was Chino and, and Stephen Carpenter. Yeah. Like Stefan. Yeah. Or Stefan. Like I, I, it, it, 
seems to an outsider like they may not get along great. They, I think they're doing better now. They're the Ben Wyman and Greg Fuchow. Right, you know, they're right, just kind right. of always uh, an uneasy truce over whose direction they're going with. Well, I always heard that Stefan was like more into creating heavier music. While well, yeah. I mean, he's a drop D tune, yeah. eight string, ch- 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 yeah, ch- almost yeah. like a, with gent music or whatever mm-hmm. they call the, you know, like a, a Meshuggah or whatever it right. is. But then, you know, Chino's always trying to be like Robert Smith yeah, or, yeah. you know, get a Morrissey kind of, mm-hmm. which, which I dig, you know, I love, as much, you know, as much of a dick as he's become in his old age, I love Morrissey. And <laughs> have I you love heard the, the Deftones Morrissey cover? I have, yeah. yeah. Is it please? It's not it's please, 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 yeah, please, yeah. Which, which you yeah. know, it was a Ferris Bueller fan. Yeah. It's like the best part of that movie. My wife and I and our kids went up to Chicago and we bought Red Wings jerseys so nice. we could kind of emulate the pictures from Ferris right, Bueller right, when that right. song is playing. Yeah, but. So in any event, so well, I want to I want to kind of get into your entry point into music. Right. So we talked about your traveling, singing, yeah, choir, all that. When that, did you get into more uh, commercial around, music? Or? I think I got my first guitar at around eleven. What was it? Uh, Fender Strat. Red. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It might have been a no. It was a real Fender Strat. Yeah. Um. The next, the one after I broke that one was the Squire Strat. Okay. Um. Because I wasn't allowed to have nice things. Anymore. Yeah. That's <laughs> why you um, can't have nice things. But I always had um. A piano in my house. I always had my brother's instruments. Yeah. My brother's friends literally were having band practice in my house. Um, uh, they were listening to King Crimson, Pink Floyd. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, the first band I can remember ever, like, I need to buy the cassette was Living Color Vivid. Oh, my God. For sure. And I just remember when, I don't Did know what you see what them play with came Stones, out. Steel no, Wheels? No, no. It had to be around... 87 i would have been seven does that so, sound right i don't know how old were you when you got the album do you remember I, it was around that time. okay yeah because they opened at the old sombrero for the mm-hmm. stones and the steel wheels tour and i remember seeing that that was my first concert ever nice anyway so yeah so, i remember jumping around the living room in my tidy whities with a you know tennis racket just I, shredding the cult of personality and i'm always surprised that they didn't have a bigger career than they had i mean they've always been kind of around but that mm-hmm. it was like kind of the, a one and done on that yeah. album but i mean well say aloud i think was their next album and it, it they've always okay? gotten critical reviews but yeah. i think they kind of just fell off um well, the map vernon reed the guitarist i mean he's a pretty he's a bad, bad boy guitar. yeah i mean he's really a bad, good bad boy yeah so uh who else who else were some of your bands uh, I, I see the i see the uh pink floyd tattoo on your yeah form, so. i mean uh oh. dark side and and the war parts of my heart 39 i'll be 40 okay. in two months okay yeah men of a certain age they had no choice but to have some version of bob marley the doors pink mm-hmm. floyd grateful dead I had all that, but the dead. Yeah. Well, the dead is kind of a, a you know, another us and them type of. I like situation. their studio records. I like uh, Terrapin Station. Their pop songs are on point. Yeah, like, you I know, mean, yeah. When they're trying to actually have a song structure. Yeah, it can be under six minutes long, which yeah. is crazy because I listen to Tool and, you know, there isn't anything on the new record under eight minutes long. So except for the intros and stuff. I'll tell you this. When I'm playing with my kids, the only thing that they don't bitch at me to change the channel is if I put it on like Dead & Co. or something. Mm-hmm. They That somehow just oh, yeah, is happy. the soundtrack yeah. to being a toddler. You yeah, know? I can do, see do, that. Do, 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 you know, just playing with Barbies and all this other shit. And so, I mean, it it's, it, it plays on, on some level. So um, Then I had pretty much a... Um, a, a uh, family that 
had grown up together. We're still best friends now. Um, and they, their father was a musician. Oh, really? So they grew up with piano and oh, wow. uh, so a, a drum kit in the sure. garage. And, and so I was at their house all the time. So one day somebody handed me a bass, said, you're the bass player now. And we learned, you know, some Almond Brother tunes and his dad would come out and play with us and stuff. Um, and so that was kind of like the first band situation that would have been like 92, 93. Um, we were called Turkey Leg Jones. Turkey Leg Jones. And we recorded a one microphone into a cassette, uh, tape that actually just got, uh, somebody just found again. Oh, really? And dig- uh, digitized and sent it to me to see if I can clean it up. Oh, wow. Um, so that was kind of like the first time I ever recorded anything. Right. And then a couple years later, I moved to Kansas. So um, then you had to like rebuild from the ground up. Right. So at that time I kind of switched back over to guitar. I never, I just kept on playing both throughout, but you've got the hands and the arms for the bass player. I mean, yeah. It's funny. Cause you look at like Getty Lee or Cliff Burton or some of these other amazing bass players and they're these little spindly things. But I always like guys that look like they could just pull the strings off a of bass <laughs> if they, if they had to, yeah. you definitely got that. You yeah. Know, well, that I might, build. I might got a pump on today cause I was uh, holding a nail gun above oh, my head quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. So you're swole up. I might be swole up. Yeah. But, uh, no. So, uh, in the bands, you know, at the time I, I did the Metallica thing, kind of lost them after the black album, kind of like most everybody else did. For sure. Um, Anthrax was huge. Sepulcher has always been huge. Um, Sick of it all, life of agony. I was into some hardcore stuff. New York hardcore stuff. Biohazard. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff. And then at the same time, uh, I owned every Bob Marley record, you know, and, uh, Almond Brothers. Almond Brothers probably, if you had to like take it down to one of the most influential bands just in my, personality and in my life allman brothers would be in that conversation well that's a strong band to have there i mean again very savvy with their instruments able to kind of play a wide breadth of music uh you know just strong mm-hmm. you know there's not a weak person in that band so right. um i could see the the early groundwork for kind of what was to come with your career right from from that and so uh from there it was you know i think Did you do any college or uh not until i was 30 yeah okay. i you know i moved to kansas for high school and pretty much hooked up with this guitar player named jeremy uh, we were in the same homeroom he was just moved in from springfield missouri he was a skater kid uh we both played guitar instant like that's like best friends you yeah. know it's like are we best friends already yeah. <laughs> it's like uh we so, are. yeah um and we started playing guitar together and then through a series of a, a couple years of different players quitting for a while doing this doing that around uh into junior year we kind of put together what would become the band till about two years after high school. Okay. Um, and that was called Ill Fated. Ill Fated. Was it yeah. hardcore heavy type band or? Uh, we liked to call ourselves groove metal. Um, okay. We were, uh, we had a keyboardist, which okay. was, you know, a little different at the time. Well, this, this was, was yeah. this was 97, 98, 99, 2000. We heard Genghis Tron or. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, you yeah. Could, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we weren't nearly as heavy as them. We were basically new metal. Just to say. There we were is, basically there is, new metal. You can put keyboard in that music. There's yeah. a way to do it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So we were basically new metal with a really talented drummer who was 20 years older than us. 
Which, by the um, way, is the fucking that's yeah. that's where it's at. That was the key that's where you spend the, your money is on your drummer. That's <laughs> I mean that was the key to really making our band feasible at all. Right. Was you know finding Tony that when we did and he was so much more experienced and um you know just better at the drums than any other. It's like the difference of dry, looking for a place with a map and without a map. Mm-hmm. You know you can have the drummers like okay we got to turn here you know right, we got to right. you know play you know without it you're just all over all over the place. So um, so we did some records. Uh, is it, does that stuff exist somewhere? Um yeah I, I have a copy of that record um on digital only. Okay. Um, but I, I can email you a link to it. I, 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 I'm eating up everybody who's on here. I've been trying to get, uh, Greg, uh, from, well, Michael J from Wolfface. Mm-hmm. His, his, uh, he had a band in the early 2000s called Next Season, which I didn't know about till like two weeks ago. He's like, you should, you should listen to this. And I went back and I was like, I like this as much as you got. And there, it, it's like, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm begging him. I was like, put it on Spotify, put it on Spotify, put it on Spotify. And, that's kind of a, you know, I, I, I don't really understand the politics of Bandcamp versus Spotify. I mean, I guess you get paid for your album on Bandcamp, but if you want exposure, you're probably going to get right. more exposure on Spotify. I think so it's, it's more transactional on Bandcamp. Yeah. Like they get downloads. Yeah. Whereas Spotify, it's a subscription-based service. Right. right. Um, I think that's really the only difference. I feel so guilty eyes. that I uh, that I'm such a mark for Spotify as I am, but it's just so easy. It's like I just got it, man. Yeah. And I love it. So two years, that band went two years past high school in Kansas. Yeah. So about 20 years old, I moved back to Florida. Straight to Tampa? Yeah, straight to Tampa. And then, and then what were you, what was, what were you doing for work? Were you? I actually got a job working the old Yeoman's Road. Okay. Uh, running that kitchen at night. The and, one on Davis Island? Yeah. Okay. Um, in 2001. Like so you know March. everybody because of the open mics and everything else. Well, my was brother like- was hosting the open mic. Oh, my brother okay. John with his friend Vince, they had, uh, been doing Wednesday open mic there for a long time. And uh, that's kind of how I got the job is like they were looking for a cook. And what that's what I was doing in high school is working as a cook various places with a couple, you know, offshoot odd jobs here and there, but mostly restaurant stuff. Right. Um, and then so I got the job at Yeoman's and started hanging around. And then they made burger night, uh, open mic night kind of coincided. I'm pretty good at making burgers. And, uh, it was just clicked. And, uh, you know, that's where Nowicki showed up. Uh, that's where all the guys from Toast, a uh, couple of the guys from Holy Terror, Tribal Style. Was uh, Poetry and Lotion a thing yet? Or is that no, what? no. Poetry didn't come until after Toast. Okay. So that would have been like 2006, maybe. Were you in that? In Poetry and Lotion? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> depends on who you ask. No, yeah, I'm, yeah. The, I'm the unofficial member. You're the fifth Beatle for- Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I just recorded their records okay. and kind of co-produced them with them. Gotcha. Um, I probably play- I, well, I play the Frog Wira on one song, and I play keyboards on another. On Frog Wira? A Guira is like a- Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I played that on the last record and I think on the first record they did with me, I did like a couple of keyboard parts, okay. but you know, uncredited totally. Sure. I think they credited me actually to be funny on the second one. Um, but yeah, but that was a few years later even. So at Yeoman's it was, uh, um, just free for all, but you know, there was a ton of good players and, uh, at the same time as all that was going on, those same brothers that I had grown up with in Tampa. I moved in with them. Okay. And they had a recording studio set up in their house. Oh, wow. And so we got together and called ourselves Superfly TNT Presents, which they had been going by since they were at Plant. Okay. And uh, 
just kind of built off that and started recording people, inviting people over. What type of music was that? We were pretty much white boy funk, yeah. not like galactic white boy funk. We were trying to be funky, sure, but it was uh, not jammy at all. We were trying to be on the cuts and on the ones, yeah. you know, like yeah, yeah. Uh, we were trying to keep it tight, but also have some fun with it. And right. then also hip hop's a huge influence. We were trying to bring in some digital aspects at the time. Um, we were covering uh, Herbie Hancock uh, and then other party time. music. Yeah. I mean, it was just What's the type time. of music up in DC that they always talk about kind of in shoegaze. No, it's called, is it called not swing. It's it's a very bass and drum driven mm-hmm. kind of funk music. And every mm-hmm. documentary you see on DC, it talks about how weird it was that hardcore and this, mm-hmm. which was ultimately kind of the African American type music. It was like two step or gonna fucking kill me. This yeah. always happens. I forget well, shit. And as soon as I turn the computer off, it all rushes back in my yeah, brain. But it's funny. it's you know, it's like uh like what was the type of oh like I was asking my uh my brother in law is from Puerto Rico I was like can you tell me what reggaeton is and he's like it's basically the drum beat like right. the drum beat is what reggaeton is you right. know, every song you hear is like doom do doom doom do doom you know mm-hmm. that's that's what reggaeton is so you know with the funk it's very you know there's that thing right. that you can kind of just pick up and everybody just can kind of hear and play a part of and we were experimenting musically as well just. Um, you know, on one of the songs, this was the nineties. No, no, this was the early two thousands. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was, uh, doing the dishes and Chris was trying to record something and it sounded cool. So he just left it at the beginning of the song. Oh, well, that's- you know, and we were playing with cellos and we were playing with, uh, just any instruments we could get our hands on any microphones we could get our hands on inviting people back from the bar at three o'clock in the morning because we like their open mic set and yeah. like, let's record it now. That's awesome. You know? Um, it's so it's mixed media. It's multi, it's a yeah. pastiche of just everything. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was a very, you know, we were poor as dirt three, you know, young kids. Chris was like 22. I was 20. Jesse was 20, 20. So, um, you know, we were just, trying everything we could to stay alive and play as much music as possible. But as poor as you were, not to get too kind of, you know, flaky about mm-hmm. it, you probably were more rich than most of the wealthy kids because of your abilities and the, the, the family that you formed and, right. the, you know, what you could do and enjoy. I mean, you know, that's that's enriches your life so much more than any car you can buy. Or, mm-hmm. Although, it's, I mean, granted, it's nice to be able to pay your mortgage and have air conditioning, but... Um, all right. So, so take me forward. All right. So forward after that, uh, Superfly kind of broke up. Um, you have and- long ass band names, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, well, that's not even the whole story because <laughs> it used to be Superfly TNT presents and then we'd change our name every show. After like the colon. <laughs> so it'd be like Superfly TNT presents Neckbones, Su- Superfly TNT presents the Baby Blues. I love that. Um, so, and then we kind of settled on Neckbone towards the end. Um, once we kind of, solidified everything yeah um but uh the neck bone set was the most popular so right, it's like we're, right. gonna, we're gonna trade on this name for right. a while yeah. so uh then um a friend of mine had bought a house in seminole heights okay and uh this was while toast was going on okay and uh i kind of bullied my way into toast um just by showing every uh Bullied my way into toast is going to be the title of this. Go ahead. <laughs> nice. Um, uh, and kind of just 
took a djembe and sat down on stage with them and they're all my friends yeah. they just let me do it so i kind of became the unofficial fifth member of toast and i'd go to every show i didn't have anything else to do and right drink and and where was their spot like where could you find them play we, most we played uh well they had a, a residency at yeoman's like okay. every other sunday and then they played the last or first thursday of the month at the dubliner um, they played Ferg's one night before a Dave Matthews concert. The Tampa one or the St. Pete one? The Tampa one. Okay. Um, I mean, they, they put together some pretty crazy games. We played the Marshall Center at USF. Oh, to wow. like, yeah. to like 15 disinterested college yeah. students. Yeah, yeah. And we were there for the free, you know, sandwiches yeah. or whatever. Um, we kind of played all over the little Tampa Bay area a little bit. And then, um, Right towards the end of recording our first real studio record, um, my buddy bought a house out in Seminole Heights, uh, Dylan, and uh, he was like, let's build a recording studio because it had these two outbuildings, cinder block Seminole Heights, you can find a little grandmother suite or right. a little thing you can kind of do a purpose was now with Seminole Heights, the cultural hotbed that it is today back no. then. It was a no man's land. No, yeah. you had McDonald's, you had ABC pizza. Yeah, Seven Eleven, but no, Florida uh, uh, looks a lot different. Do you, do you ever go on the the Seminole Heights Facebook pages? Yeah, I'm on. A I mean, like every night, it's who stole my bike or yeah. what's that helicopter doing? <laughs> Even still, yep. And we, uh, so we started building a studio, and that would become Short Circuit Studio. Okay, which is kind of how I made my bones finally in the Tampa music. Scene. Is that still in existence? Uh. I haven't decided if I'm bringing the name back because okay. we'll get to it. But okay. uh, eventually it became Short Circuit South when I moved to Sarasota. Okay. And now I've moved back to Tampa and I'm not sure. Uh, well, first of all, I don't have a space. Right. So I I hesitate to. Um, well, that's kind of important, but. Right. And so um, we'll see. Yeah. Short Circuit could be back. I mean, I still got all the artwork and everything. Well, there you go. Um, And it's, you know, easier not to get a new logo than it isn't. So. Yeah, yeah. So, um, after Toast. After Toast, uh, I kind of stopped playing and went full on recording for about a decade. Really? Yeah. Um, I'd play here and there and strum, you know, and stuff and play on other people's records. And What type of producer were you? Were you a, an engineer or a producer? Well, I'm both. Um, well, so I was the, the reason I, I posited that way is I was having a conversation with someone just before you're on the show that uh, Laura Jane Grace from Against Me evidently just released a record, an acoustic record today recorded by Steve Albini. Oh. And we were discussing why in the world would you have Steve Albini do an acoustic record for you? It's, and, you know, we were talking about there's the Steve Albinis and there's the Rick Rubens and then mm -hmm. everything in between. And so that, that's where that question came yeah, from. Yeah. Um, so really early on, uh, I had worked some corporate stuff for a few years as kind of a, uh, you know, working restaurant and working at the, at the, during the daytime at this more corporate studio. And, uh, it, it was so soul sucking to sit there and be like, man, you almost got that vocal take, but time's up, man. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to try again, you're going to owe me another $85 cause yeah. we don't do partial hours, you know? Right. Eventually that, that was kind of when digital recording was coming in. So by the time I left that place, we were charging 55 an hour. Um, so, so the blow was a little bit softer, but not yeah, much. Yeah. Um, $30 and, softer. And we started, and we started prorating. We started having to do things because they, people could just go record in their, you know, it's part which of the is business, what, you know, well, it was also what I was doing 
yeah. behind my boss's back. Right. Cause I had a non-compete. Yeah. Um, eventually he learned about it and was cool with it. Cause I wasn't competing with him. Or really competition, at all. Yeah. Well, we never advertised. We don't. Um, so based off what I learned from and what I experienced at the corporate studio, um, once we got the studio set up, I just made it our mission statement, music over money. Yeah. And we had no clocks. Um, and we started charging fl- flat rates to most bands. Um, it's amazing the freedom that you can have when you remove money from a scenario. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, there's much less of a importance on measuring things when money's not involved. Exactly. And getting it right is, is more right. The, the, the target. And that was, that's what it was about. Cause I saw these kids, um, would come in and, you know, they're so nervous. It's their first time in a recording studio. Yeah. And they're even double nervous because their dad's paying 85 bucks an hour behind it. And he doesn't understand why his son wants to make music. Yeah. Instead of play football, you For know, sure, yeah. or whatever the case may be, or the, or the dad's one of the, you know, do it right. I mean, I've had both. Well, not to mention my extremely limited studio experience tells me that, it's not sexy at all. Oh. <laughs> you know, I, it, for the, a five hour studio session that I sat apart, sat in four and a half hours was setting the drums up and then yep. the other 30 minutes was yep. every other part of it. And so it's, it's literally like fixing your cable box or something for most of it. Right. So we had, the, we had, uh, some liberties that other places don't have. I mainly is we only really took one or two jobs on at a time. Did you, what kind of board? Did you have like a, a an old school board or were you using? We were pretty, we were tools analog or? into sonar. Okay. Um, but we just had a Mackie board. Okay. Um, we, at the beginning, we bought what we could afford that would do the best job. Um, and now I'm pretty much a hundred percent inside the box. I just have a road case of preamps that all to correct connect direct to my computer and i don't even have to worry about stuff like it's, that it's anymore. yeah i mean it's if, if my understanding of it is how easy it is i mean talking to jeremy he's like yeah i recorded that in my closet mm-hmm. you know so it's uh, definitely but it, it's funny because so in the last couple you know before uh mike who was here earlier before we started working on the sound i had uh, another producer and she was a recording artist locally and uh, you know, very thankful for her, but you know, the sound was always real crunchy. We had an old interface, we had different mics. Mm-hmm. And as I always point out, we're five feet away from my IT room at my, at my building. So there's all sorts of interference and it started to get better. But, um, one of the things that I've noticed more and more lately, like for some reason last, it, it came up a lot last week is last Friday, like, 10 great albums came out like mm-hmm. idols, Deftones, Horsewhip, Sufjan Stevens, uh, the OCs had an album that came out, like all these amazing albums. And, and now that I'm like meeting a lot more of your people as it were, mm-hmm. uh, and, and kind of following them on social media, they're all talking about the mixes. Like everybody was bitching about the mix on Deftones. Like, I don't even, I couldn't tell you what was wrong with it, what was mm-hmm. right with it, or, but are you able to, there, there is a question here. Are you able to listen to music as a, not a producer, not an engineer, or does your ear always go to, man, that drum sounds weird, or man, that, you know. <laughs> it can take you out. Yeah. Um, but probably up until 30, 32, no, I couldn't. Yeah. Um, if I thought it sucked, you would know right away. almost instantly. Yeah. And I'd be sure to let you know. Yeah. Um, 
as you get older, you relax a little bit. You realize that your taste isn't exactly everybody's taste, even though your taste might, be, the a best little, taste might be a little better. Yeah, but, for sure. Um, but no, I mean, it's, I try to let people enjoy what they enjoy unless it's, you know, fascist or racist. 100%. Or, yeah. You know, like, who cares if, if you want to spend your entire evening listening to deep cuts off of your foreigner records? Yeah. That's not what I want to do, even though. I'll listen to their radio their hits, hits yeah. you know, because yeah. I like those songs. Yeah. I'm not searching out Foreigner right now, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now I want searching out Foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyways, yeah, it's uh, now I can yeah. a, a lot more than I could when I was a young buck. Well, with age comes perspective, you know, uh, in, in the past six years seven years i've had two children and i've lost both my parents and so you get some perspective on life events and you know at some point i heard the phrase you know that's not a hill i want to die on and Mm -hmm. so i have this little voice in my head now that's like is it really that important for you to win that argument Like, like like is it really worth your energy and you know even still like 2016 just crushed my soul yeah the election standpoint and fighting with people. And I, and I was, you know, I was struggling to struggling at what portion of my bandwidth was the election going to occupy. And I, and I coming up to this one, I've valiantly tried to really keep it at bay. The debate the other night kind of, I, I had a, a momentary lapse. I can't watch. Yeah, I, 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 I fell off the wagon, but I think I'm back on it now. Well, not to mention, <laughs> this is a funny story. I've been in Facebook jail for the past 24 oh, hours. Oh, really? And for the, well, what's funny is, is I spent the, the next all yesterday after the debates just mother effing the proud boys yeah, and all this yeah, other stuff yeah. saying all this vile stuff about trump people but, 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 but nothing i shared where is my mind from surfer rosa and i forgot that the woman's boobs are out on the record oh, cover God. and zuckerberg put me in the slammer for 24 hours god forbid you see a nipple uh, but, but boobs fascism on i know great. fascism okay boobs no good but uh, yeah so yeah so that's when we started bringing in um and you know great shout outs and love to uh Joe Diacunto and Sean. So he's O'Brien another one I see. I, th- those guys I see all the time. I so, so I, I got to get him in here because his name is another one that comes yeah. up constantly. Um, and Broken Mold, uh, you know, Phil and and Sean, were, Phil Benito and Sean O'Brien were running that, and uh, and a few other people were all involved in that. But uh, we kind of just became eventually the uh, house studio for these bands that broken mold was kind of promoting. Right. And we cut them a deal, you know, bring us more bands. We'll cut you better deals, you know? So, um, by this time, Dylan had moved on to an IT business. He wanted to start. Okay. And our friend Troy, who had been doing uh hip hop production, um, in reason up to then, but he wanted to learn more about microphones and stuff like that. And he came on as kind of my assistant, uh, slash protege. um, and so we kind of just, as a joke, call ourselves the tripod, you know? Yeah. And, um, Dylan would, you know, be there when he could be and, and Troy and I, but kind of like Tuesday nights, uh, became broken mold night. Okay. And so we did auto automatic. We did both poetry and lotion records. We did two Florida night heat records. Okay. Um, Brom Bones. 
so yeah, that kind of whole family of bands is interconnected quite deeply. There's a little scene, a little pocket. Yeah. yeah a little pocket in time and in Tampa. Right. So, uh, you know, we produced some records. We won a best album of the year, uh, for auto automatic, um, that year, I think it was, uh, 2010. Okay. Um, for their record, uh, it was, uh, is there one that you're like most it. proud of producing? They're all my children. You're only little babies. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there are some, especially more, the more recent stuff, um, uh, that I've had more. Well, we'll get to it. Cause so what happened was basically that whole run came and then, you know, put me, put me in, put me in a timeline somewhere. So what, year, this, what year are we talking this, about? We're talking about like 10, 2010. You've had a full life, dude. I mean, you've yeah. had a lot of a, a few lifetimes in your yeah, lifetime. Yeah. 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 Uh, added the beer in, yeah. and a couple more lifetimes. Yep. But uh, I had decided at the time um, with my fiance to move to Sarasota. Okay, wanted to get out of Tampa for a bit. Where'd you move to? Uh, out east of town okay. by the uh, state park, my okay. state park. Okay. Um, and I wasn't going to set up an official recording studio. We're just gonna have a couple mics, a demo studio, basically for me, right? And my speakers. So I could listen to music really loud. Um, we had this big 60 by 40 with 14 foot ceiling air conditioned garage. Oh, wow. Um, so that was going to be her art studio and my music studio and whatever. Are you guys and still I together? No. Okay. That's why I moved back to Florida. Okay. Or to Tampa. Okay. Um, so about, I don't know, a little while after I moved down, I just started writing again and Swampus was born. Okay. Um, and, uh, Swampus was uh, kind of my baby. I wrote all the songs and lyrics, um, and we were kind of, I like to call us alt metal. Okay. Um, but you might just say it's like weird grunge also. <laughs> I, I can go, I can dig either. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that ended up being uh, myself on the guitar and vocals, and then Pete Newfer from Toast. So, okay. I, and I also just brought you his, a right. copy of his solo stuff that I did a couple. Does he have something new ago. out or has he just put something new out? I've been seeing a lot of him on social media lately. Well, he's in the Holy Terror as well. Okay. And he, this is Palmetto Road, which is his solo project. Okay. Um, Named for Palmetto Road and Manatee or? No, okay. I don't think so. All right. <laughs> um, he's from Utah. I don't know yeah. if he's ever been to Manatee County. There's a Palmetto in Utah. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Probably at a resort. Yeah. But, uh, and then Scott from uh, Genghis Flan, who was mm. the lead singer of Genghis Flan, guitar player, uh, he's also just an amazing drummer, and he's the drummer for the Holy Terror. Um, so we now, is is he the current drummer for the Holy Terror? Yeah. So that's who John was telling me about. Right. He's kind of like an all star drummer. That was yeah. like a huge get for the yeah. Band. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. Um, and uh, so the three of us got together and kind of started workshopping these uh, kind of heavier songs. Right. And it coalesced and uh, we invited uh, a producer down. I didn't want to make my own record anymore. I'd been recording my own demos for. Yeah, you can't tell if it's good or not. You know, like I've listened to this nine zillion yeah. times. Yeah. And also I wanted to focus on being a guitar player and being a, you know, a band member more. Um, Cause it kind of sucks when you're doing your own records. It's, it's like, like acting and directing right, movies. Right. Yeah. For sure. Um, so we invited our friend Bob Hirschberger down from uh, Orlando. He's seen a band called Bob on blonde. They're okay. awesome. Check them out. I will. Um, 
amazing. Uh, I just recently got on a reversal of man. Uh, kick. Mm-hmm. Can you ever listen to them? I think I've heard a few tracks. Yeah. 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 There's, there's amazing stuff, man. Central Florida. Also, uh, prescribed fire. I wanted to say, okay. Uh, is I love, I love, I love it when you guys do this. Cause I, I literally say like, I'm going to get a tra- a court reporter to transcribe these podcasts <laughs> so I can make like my Christmas shopping list of all these bands that I, that, you know, I wouldn't have known of otherwise. Um, so we started recording a record and then playing around and uh we ended up playing a plan b festival down in ebor uh holding a cd release at crowbar you know tommy held me a friday and um all this time i've been living in tampa i also was doing shows at you know uh crowbar new world meeting everybody and um if i wasn't playing a show i was at a show or at least drinking at a show and uh so uh we did a c release show and then might have played one more time and it kind of got just we kind of got sucked whole form into the holy terror right by john um because it's the same drummer and pete and i just switched guitar and bass okay um so we always kind of a very different type of music right we couldn't be more different except for the tone i think yeah okay um because a lot of my my i have the same doom and gloom uh, outlook that John struggles well, this with. This was, yeah, we were, we were talking about that. Um, it's like, we can compare notes. Yeah. I always know no matter how depressed I'm feeling, I can text John and he will understand where I'm at. Yeah. So <laughs> make, uh, it, make it just a little bit worse. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and then we were recording the record, doing guest spots on the record. And then we had the record and then it was like, now we have to find the rest of the band. And so we filled it in with Kenny and Melissa. You got pretty big there at a few points, right? I mean, we were playing. Yeah. I mean, we were playing. No, I'm sorry. I meant the band got like the number of people. Oh, seven. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's still at seven. Okay. Um, and then, uh, played for, you know, started recording the second album almost immediately. In between, I had done a Pete's record and then Pete and Scott are in another band together called rototiller okay i did their record uh last october and then i brought the you a swampus record nice this came out in uh 2016 okay. or it might have came out in 2017 this is the whole reason i do this show really just <laughs> yeah, for just free to get shit for my <laughs> just to get free band yeah. merch um hey like i got i got shirts that i i'd say it's a it's a trade you you get a koozie and a shirt so nice um so yeah the it's it was completely backwards we had all the music yeah and now we need to find musicians. So we built it, practiced. And while we were practicing, we're, John's like, well, we have th- this one from my catalog too, and bring it up. And now all of a sudden we were writing the second album as a band. Yeah. So the first album is kind of like John just with special guests. Barfing out what he'd been storing up in his. And the second album is kind of like the full band. Right. Um, everybody kind of, if, if not, I mean, cause. John will come and say like, Hey, here's what I think the bass should be like, you know, and he'll say, he'll say, Hey, I'm not really liking that part. You know, let's change it around. Um, it's definitely his band, right? But it's, it's complete collaborative effort as well. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember him ever being like, don't play that, you know? So when did, when did you stop playing in it? Um, around, uh, December last year. Was that because of the move or? No, it was because of what was happening before the move. Okay. Um, I just needed, no, I was, Thought I was trying to start a business, um, and ended up divorced. Yeah. And, uh, moved back to 
so they were playing shows and then I moved back uh to Tampa like a week before shutdown. Yeah. And moved into my buddy's house. He had a spare room and basically was quarantined for like a month. And then since then I, so while I was in quarantine, I mixed, uh, the WMNF live Holy terror. Right. I did, uh, the album was almost done. Uh, the Holy terror too. Yeah. Except for a couple violin parts, one guitar part, two trumpet parts. So Troy, who used to be my member of my tripod at Short Circuit, right. now owns his own recording studio. Is that where it was recorded? No. This oh. was, the whole album was actually recorded down in my place in Sarasota. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then up here, we went over to his C-Lab. It's called the C-Lab, his studio is, um, which he'd be a good person to have on the show Send as well. Send him my way. I want to. Because uh, uh, he does hip hop. I can't tell you. Well, so that's that's a that's a uh, an area I want to get into. Uh, there's a, a DJ that Ray Roa was talking to me about, and we were texting about having come on. But that's a world I want to get into too, and kind of understand. Yeah, he Troy can give you a lowdown on it uh, better than I can. Sure. I mean, I've always been a huge hip hop and rap fan, but uh, I've never tried to produce my own. I just think the broader and stronger your vocabulary is, the you know the more you can appreciate things, the more, you know, right. interesting things you can put out there. For so. sure. Um, so, uh, we recorded that record, but it was kind of in, you know, uh, stasis. Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of sat in my room and started mixing the record and they went over and recorded their parts and sent them to me and I put it together and sent it out. And they said, man, sounding great. A couple of revisions, put it out. And John was like, I'm good with it. And easy customer. It was well, no. Uh, he's actually been <laughs> one of my most picky clients over the <laughs> <Not> years. <really. laughs> um, well, yeah, he's a pro he's a he's very precise. Yeah. And uh so it was like kind of the easiest uh back and forth I've ever had. And then uh at the same time I did a couple tracks for like Acho Brother. Okay. Um and I started kind of trying to catalog some of my stuff that I never had time to do, like right. all my sessions and archive them by year. Yeah. And, um, so, uh, but yeah, uh, since, since about then the mics haven't been out of the box. Are you itching? I'll go set up right now. You gotta go, go buy, go rent a church and yeah. find a band yeah. and I'll go to my house and I can live. What about creating? Like, uh, um, I've been writing lyrics recently. Um, well, I mean, between what's going on in the world and no offense intended, but no. what's gone on with your life, yeah, you know, yeah, they yeah. say the great art comes from great, you know, adversity or great yeah. pain. And obviously, you know, as a divorce attorney, I, mm -hmm. I, I get to, you know, experience firsthand people going through this. Right. And it's a, it's a mind fucker, you know, it is even, it, even the easy ones are. Yeah. It was amicable. I mean, we just signed the papers, you know, no, no kids, uh, you know, dogs and cats, which is a bummer. So it's very much a, a demarcation in your life. It's yeah. a chapter ending and a new chapter beginning. I was just thinking about that on the way here, actually, uh, for no reason, but, uh, I mean, I'm maybe 40 this year. So the first 20 years of my life was kind of like growing up back and forth between Kansas. And then I came back when I was 20 and I'm going to be 40. And so it's like this whole period. So, which, so what's, what's your next 20 going to look like? Who knows, man? It, I guess it's going to depend a lot on what happens in November. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I wonder, I talk about that a lot. I, I, you know, 
I was having a conversation with one of the people that work in the building today. I said, imagine if we don't know who wins for six months. Right. I don't know that the country could survive that. Well, I mean, we've, we've seen that, uh, the right will, uh, shake any tree. They'll, they'll stir any nest, uh, you know, they will have their agitators out. They were blocking polling places in Virginia during yeah. early voting. Yeah. Um, you've got these neo-Nazi khaki neo khaki wearing neo-Nazis marching around. Yeah. Um, you know, so I don't know, man. It's I I've been studying the white supremacist movement in America since Oklahoma City. Yeah. Um, because people don't like to think about how the same people marching in our streets right now yeah. are the same people who blew up a federal right, building, a building yeah. um, not the exact same people, but you could draw a straight line between them. Well, there's a, if there's a Venn diagram, there's a lot of overlapping yeah. in the middle. Yeah. And it's, I was, so I was, ha- I, I, this is what I've been thinking about more recently is shame on us for not arming up shame on us for not training shame on us for not like planning for the end of days mm-hmm. because it didn't happen the way they thought it would, but they're so much boring. more prepared for it than yeah. we are, you know, because, you know, and so it kills me when, you know, I'm talking to people about the Proud Boys or White that are like, well, what about Antifa? It's like the five guys who like yeah. threw a fucking full water bottle at somebody. That's, you know, it's it's a false equivalence. You can't yeah. compare those two things. Yeah, but. My grandfather was Antifa in World War Two. <laughs> well, fucking Captain America's Antifa. Yeah. Ronald Reagan is Antifa. You're, I mean, the default position. Everybody should be Antifa. Yeah, the, you know, it's 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 just you, you you get to a point where you don't even have a shared vocabulary. You don't. Yeah. E- we can't even agree on reality. Reality. Yeah. And if we can't agree on reality, then there's just you can't even have a conversation. That's true. It's just, it's just insane. And I know this is stuff that John thinks about a lot because we talked about what goes into his songwriting and the types of things that he, he thinks about. Do you have kids? No. Yeah. That's, that's the thing that bums me out most about it though, because, you know, I just, before we had kids, my wife and I, you know, we, we always, we were always like, well, we're intelligent people. We, we can Mm -hmm. empathize with parenthood and know what all that stuff is. But boy, you know, when you have them, it, it, you know, like, I, it scares the shit. I, I love, I was, so I was an only child. I love the fact that I have two right. because my sincere hope, and it doesn't always play out this way is that they'll always have each other even right. after we're gone. But the world is just a motherfucker. It is a dark motherfucker and no one gets out alive. Yep. And you know, that's what these marriages and, you know, to, to envision going out alone or to, you know, it's, it's, it's bleak stuff. And yeah. so I, 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 you need to include me in your texts with uh, Noiki because <laughs> okay. I'll, 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 I'll just pile on with you guys. Yeah, I'm trying to steer away from nihilism towards more like absurdism. Just like it's so, it's so absurd. If you can, if you can it's, find the humor in it, you know, life is absurd. Yeah, you know, that's that's my tattoo that I've got on here. Nice. You know, big Camus guy. Oh yeah, nice. Um, me too. Yeah, I, you know, I, I do kind of. The less you can expect out of life, the yeah. the more fun you can have, yeah. you know. And it's, I Keep mean. Keep your bar real low. Even without bringing religion into it too much, uh, it's just something that when I lost most of my hope the same time I lost most of my religion. Right. Um, which was, you know, pretty early for me. So, you know, 13 maybe. Right. Um, was that the divorce of your parents? No, 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 okay. no, no. This was just a natural 
reading books, reading books, reading books. Okay. It can't be both. Well, this makes way more sense. Yeah. yeah. Plus, I mean, you can look around and tell the earth isn't 6,000 years old. Right. I mean, if, if that were the case, we would see mountains yeah. rising yeah. year after yeah. year. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't happen. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, it's hope is, you know, the denial of reality is the big, uh, thing, but that's not true. Hope is okay. It's okay to have hope, but you can't hope for a miracle. No, you got, that's a dangerous thing. And that, that absolves people, uh, you know, unfortunately of ownership over, you know, their lives, right. you know, and, and, and in the law, what I do, I have a lot of people who have a very difficult time seeing their part in it. They don't mm-hmm. understand what part they played in their marriage ending, or they don't understand right. why, why they're going to jail, or they don't understand, you know, how, how unfair it is. You right. know, I often have, you know, clients telling me how fair it is that the state wants to make them pay X for their charges. Mm-hmm. Like, well, the attorney doesn't give a shit what you pay. The legislature wrote the law and it's the same law for you as it is for every other person. Right. So these people didn't do it. This person did do it. That's why, you know, but right. it's also not that cut and dry, you know? I, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, I think the more lawyers we send to D.C., uh, the more this country is going to be messed up. I mean, no offense well, to your, no, your profession. No, you're not going to find someone who dislikes lawyers more than I do. I, I mean, just think as scientists and musicians and if we have um, our teachers it, were elected as Congress people, um, then our country would be a lot better. I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. I, I'm for it. I couldn't agree more. I wish that you know they say what's this? I'm going to fuck it up, but you, you can tell. You can tell what's important to a country by its architecture. Yeah. This is some. I'm well. They, they they say a couple things like they say that too. Like it's art, and you know the point that I'm making. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, I think the one I hear the most is you can judge a nation how it treats its old people and its young people, which we do horribly at as yeah. well. So um, it's not like we're leading the world in elder care or uh, like child mortality or any of that. Or so, how we treat our vets, or yeah. how we treat mental health, or yeah. how we treat substance abuse, or how we yeah. treat black people. I mean, I, I that that thirteenth documentary I talk about mm-hmm. all the time. I don't know if you saw that. Not yet. No. How they they basically wrote the Thirteenth Amendment to legalize slavery, right. and then how they started writing all the laws to basically focus on poor black Mm -hmm. people. And so now there was no more slaves, but there was a shit ton of black inmates who were doing free work work for, you know, that happens to this day. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, and now corporations are getting rich off it, which I think is bullshit because in a democracy, even whatever we have here, representative, representative, whatever Republic, whatever you technical term, you call it. um, If the state, wants to put you away, the state should have to pay for it. Yeah. No one should be making money off of yeah. uh, the state deciding. Because tell you what. Well, you're incentivizing it. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, you read these emails from private prisons to to governors. If if we lose 20 more beds, we have to shut this facility down. Then what will you do with these yeah. other, you know? So, yeah. I mean, that's why they crack down on everything. Yeah. The, they're... Um, that's why they're holding immigrants at the border instead of deporting them. Creating jobs. Yeah, creating jobs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look at employment. It's yeah. way up. I mean, they're all violating the Constitution and, you know, creating, you know, and the, camps. and the Geneva Convention. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but more jobs. Yeah. You know? That's why I always, that's why I always get a little upset when people like 
cherry pick metrics to right. focus on. It's like, yeah, business is doing great, but the right. world is going to be a burning fucking cinder in like 15 years because yeah. we pulled out of every accord. You're like no one's emissions are being mm. checked. Everything's getting, you know, it's like, yeah, it's going to be great for 10 years and then yep. fall off a cliff after that. Well, another thing that big tangent here, and I, I do this for some reason, I started talking to Vetno about Eisenhower the other night, and I don't know how I got there, but uh, with colleges, it makes me think of college football players and, you know, these colleges that make all these money off these athletes and the athletes don't get paid anything, right. you know, America, the part of the uh, American dream is the haves capitalizing on the have nots, you right. know, that's kind of a woven into the American story from the very beginning. And the people who vote against all their own financial interests, either as single issue voters, uh, I won't bring up, we all know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but, uh, or, you know, the second amendment people, or I don't know if it's some kind of hope that is, if I vote for against my own financial interests, enough times I will become financially successful. Well, I don't know if that's part of it because I've never voted against my own financial self-interest. Well, so uh, this, uh, hopefully this isn't, this isn't uh, incorrect, but one of the questions I've always had is, is why there's such a high incidence of conservatism in like the Cuban Mm -hmm. areas or the Latino. And I, you know, I've had this, conversation a lot uh with with family and stuff and you know one of the things is like cuba they were coming from a socialist country so Mm -hmm. capitalism was the right uh, was the opposite of that like i know this sucks because this is or that version of it sucks because i just had to you know escape from it so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go this way which is away from that Mm -hmm. and again you know mexican you know all this latino you know you're coming from poverty or you're coming from socialism or you're coming from whatever this thing is the the what's being sold about what this country offers seems ideal so i'm gonna vote for that and it's gonna be that and i'm gonna become that and you know so very much what you're suggesting i think is if you walk like a duck and quack like a duck eventually you'll become a duck what do you think when was the first time you think you knew the difference between that there were class levels in america i can tell you It was right around going from grade school to high school, high school, right around mm-hmm. there. Uh, there was a bit. So in the, in the eighties, I remember all of a sudden, uh, half of my friend's parents had boats and then half of my friend's parents didn't have boats. Right. And we were, we didn't have boats. Mm-hmm. So when I was a kid, if you had a Boston whaler, like you were Donald yeah, Trump or right, like, right, that right. was the fucking thing. And then, so I grew up in St. Pete. Okay. And, uh, I went to a Catholic school and in Catholic school, it's not quite so easy to tell because everybody's in a uniform. Mm-hmm. Like you don't have the kids with the nice clothes and the shit right, clothes. Right. Everybody's got the same clothes on. Um, but I remember I went to St. Pete High and St. Pete High pulls from like the wealthiest part of Snell mm-hmm. Isle, Shore Crest, that stuff. And I very quickly felt marginalized mm-hmm. there luckily my dad taught at northeast high and he was able to bring me over even though i wasn't oh, zoned from there nice and i hit that i found found my you know the even mix of metalhead football player mm-hmm. nerd whatever and i just kind of fit in right. a little bit better but i've always been kind of a hermit recluse but yeah that's that's probably the first time and and then i learned that lesson again and again and again the next time i learned it that i can remember i probably learned it in between then and now, but, uh, is my daughter, when we put my daughter into Jewish, uh, JCC mm-hmm. and we started getting active shooter and bomb threat Ugh. calls. And I was so fucking livid 
that what was being done to the Jewish people. And I was talking to my Jewish friends and they were just like, Welcome to, you know, yeah, welcome, welcome, welcome to the club, man. Yeah, this is what it's all about. Reality, yeah. And yeah. I was just like, oh, and then again this year, you know, the the fact is like, oh, yeah, the Washington Redskins, that's pretty shitty. Oh, Aunt Jemima, yeah, that's pretty mm-hmm. shitty. Oh, all, all the Barbie dolls at Target are white. Yeah, that's pretty shitty. Yeah. Like all these things. So that's not really class more as race, but right. it's you, you kind of just don't notice it and, mm-hmm. until you're like, you know, I always think of uh, Clockwork Orange where they're like peeling. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, now do you see it? It's like, oh, now it's everywhere. You know, now I can see it everywhere. So. Right. Yeah, I, I just, uh, a memory that came back to me recently was, uh, I think I was watching cartoons or something one, oh my God. one Saturday morning and they played the, uh, UNICEF commercial or whatever oh. it was for the African kids. Oh, you yeah. Know, for you can adopt an African kid for a penny a day or whatever yeah. it was back then, two pennies a day. Yeah. And, uh, I just ran and my mom just, yeah. Why are they, yeah. Why are they, li- what's happening? Yeah. And, uh, that was the first time I ever remember, like, oh, it's not just going to be all white people around me in my little neighborhood. It, although my neighborhood was probably 50% white. Yeah. I live in Sogtown. Um, a lot of Latino and, yeah. and, and, and other, but, um, so, but yeah, I mean, I went to a, uh, Episcopal day school. And so most of the people there were white Anglo-Saxon people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really the first time I went to public school was sixth grade at Woodrow Wilson before I went to Tampa prep and uh, the difference there, it blew my mind. Like I couldn't like, that was the first time anyone ever like that I knew didn't have lunch. Yeah. You know, or their lunch account was overdrawn and the school wouldn't feed them. Right. You know, like I think around that time. So yeah, sixth grade, something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, and at some point it happens. I, I don't think by decision, but there's the people who empathize, and then the people who kind of don't give a shit. Fuck yeah. them. It's their fault. Yeah, you know. And I that's that's what kills me. It's 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 not as the same starting line for everybody. Yeah. It's not the same treatment for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's not so. Well, we we did well. We ended on a bumming a, a bummer of a note. So yeah. I think we I think I think I mean, if one thing I do have continue to have hope for is that the good, well, the better side will win. I don't want to say good side, but the better side will win this one. And if if not, then I will have learned the final lesson I need to learn about America. Yeah, uh, I learned one on nine eleven. I learned one invading the Iraq war. Yeah. I learned one torture papers. Yeah. Uh, you know, and there's been several others in between. This is probably why you, you're not going to fight with someone over yeah. the snare drum anymore. Yeah. And then, well, I will if it's on my record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not on my record. You're yeah. not going to fucking. Yeah. But if it's on somebody else's record, I didn't do that shit. Yeah. Well, I, I can right away tell that I can probably do about five more of these with you. So hopefully you'll let me well, know. Maybe when you run out of gas. Whenever. Back uh, over. Right, we can talk politics, religion. I, I have this idea of catering and getting like a keg and setting up cameras and doing an election night. Nice. Like live show and just getting people like shit faced or other things and having them scream at a screen for I'm, the entire time i'm pretty good at the first part yeah so. and it's 
you know, screaming at the screen comes right. after. Thank you so much for coming by. You're an amazing dude. I really appreciate you coming by. I love the music that you make, the music that you produce. Um, you're, you're, you're part of a, a family that I'm just finally kind of seeing as being out there. And it's, well, welcome to the family. It's pretty man. cool. Well, I, I, I thank you. I don't know if that's true, but I appreciate it. So have a good night. Thank Thanks you so for much. having me. All on. right. Thank you.